Yankees Files podcast. We are back with the final episode of the year 2021, and we thought there'd be no better time than today to reflect on the season that was with all its disappointments and some good moments and other disappointments, uh, and give out some awards to the players on this kind of absurd 2021 New York Yankees team. But first, we want to reflect on just, you know, the first year of being bloggers and podcasters and, well, I guess not really the first year of being bloggers as we still have to do a retrospective on when Whipple was a Yankees blogger before and loved Vernon Wells. Um, But the first year of Yankees Files. So, Whipple, what what do you have to say about uh, the time that we've had uh, doing this this past year? I mean, it's been crazy, and I know your favorite thing to say was a terrible year to start a Yankees blog. I think it was a great year to start a Yankees blog just because there was so much to talk about. I mean, I think of the 20-something podcasts we did, about 10 of them were praising the team, praising Brian Cashman, praising um, the, the rest of the episodes were definitely um, more, more of downer episodes where we were bemoaning the state of the team and wondering if they would ever win another game and somehow this team won uh 13 games in a row and then two weeks later it looked like they were going to miss the playoffs so i think that stretch pretty easily defines this season it was tumultuous i think there was a lot to remember fondly and we're definitely going to get into some of that uh definitely some disappointing moments um but overall, I was just happy to watch 162 games at baseball after last year, which didn't really feel like a real baseball year. And I hope we got 162 games next year. But um, whatever happens in 2022, we got a full season of baseball in 2021. It was mostly COVID-free. The Yankees definitely ran into some COVID trouble. Um, but they didn't miss any games, and it was thrilling right down until the final at-bat of the final game of the regular season. And that's all you can ask for as a baseball fan. Yeah, I mean, it. I maintain it was a pretty terrible year to start a Yankees blog just because, uh, you know, the team was so up and down and, you know, mostly disappointing and... Uh, we had such high expectations. They were projected to be the best team in the league. Uh, they were projected to have the most batting war and the most pitching war. Well, when I was looking earlier today, I believe they had like the fifth or sixth lowest batting war in baseball. The pitching was great for the most part. Um, and, you know, it really was just as you said, it was so up and down that we that was the only way to describe who this team was. They never settled into playing to their winning percentage. They won a bunch of games in a a row or lost a bunch of games in a row or struggled with teams that they should beat or beat teams that they should struggle with. Um, Like, let's not forget how well this team played against like the Astros and the White Sox and the A's and, you know, other teams we thought they might play in the playoffs. And it ultimately came down to they were terrible against their division. And, you know, they had some injuries and they just couldn't pull it out at the end. But it really was, you know, on the whole, it was a fun thing to do. Uh, This is not the last Yankees Files podcast. It's just the last of this year. Uh, I've enjoyed it. I've had a great time. I'm glad that we did it. But 
man, do I wish we had been, you know, 24 years old in 2009 and started that year. Yeah. I mean, just from a podcasting perspective, I think this is the first time either of us has done something like this. And I've I probably I've been watching Yankees baseball pretty closely since about 2008, 2009. But I really felt this season in a way that I hadn't really felt any other season. And I think a lot of that was writing and podcasting about this team. And like we said, this was a uniquely uh, heart pounding, you know, gut wrenching season and how up and down it was. But even if it wasn't, it was I thought it was really cool to just feel the emotions of the team as we had some pretty high highs, some pretty low lows. And, let, you know, sometimes those came in quick succession. Um, but I thought it was a cool, a cool thing to do and got to meet a lot of cool people on Yankees Twitter and got to talk about baseball for every single week of the season, which, you know, we would do anyway without recording it for other people. So it's nice to be able to do that. Um, but I, I definitely will remember this season fondly for, you know, getting to talk about it on a weekly basis and remember it a lot closely, more closely than I think most other seasons I've watched because of that. So excited to keep doing that in the future and see where this itineration of the Yankees goes, because um, as we're going to talk about, there are some talented guys here who, you know, might be playing their last seasons with the Yankees and, um, 2022 is going to be a hell of a hell of a ride and hopefully we they will live up to expectations more than this team did but um yeah i think podcasting about a team like this is a unique experience and um definitely had a good time doing it yeah i would say i definitely watched a higher percentage of pitches in this year than maybe any in the past uh just given that like there was no time for my attention to lapse because I had to, you know, be ready to talk about the games in great detail on our podcast or write about them uh, and had to make sure my opinions were developed and clear and all of that uh, during, you know, the whole season, which was, which was kind of interesting. And uh, I, yeah, I had a good time with it. I think it was a very different experience of watching baseball than what I had before. Like I always considered myself like interested in statistics and things like that, but I spent more time on fan graphs this year than I ever had before, I'm sure. Uh, and that really, you know, just the, the, identity that we took on as like bloggers and podcasters certainly affected the way that I interacted with the baseball season um which I thought was cool I think we'd be remiss if we did not thank everyone who uh stuck around with us this season uh thank some of the people like uh Ryan Garcia like Emily Nyman like Big Baby David who were uh, generous enough to come on the podcast and chat with us and interact with us and hang out. Uh, both of our dads were obviously guests on the podcast. So that was uh, a highlight of the year uh, for us, certainly for them, I imagine, and for our listeners, probably the most of all. Um, and yeah, it's just been, it's, it's been a really cool time. And I think, as you said, there, there were some fun times that were had with this team. And uh, I think we both look forward to 
uh, reflecting on them and uh, bringing out some of the positives of this season as we move on in this episode. Yeah, and one more thing I'll say is that podcasting definitely acts as some emotional catharsis because, boy, did this team require it. Um, as you know, as you all know, having gone to many of those uh, Yankees Red Sox games in June and July, I feel that this podcast. Uh, also highlighted my status as a curse on the Yankees, so I apologize for that. Definitely one of the lowlights of the year. But, um, it, you know, being at Fenway, I needed an outlet to talk about how terrible that was to watch the Yankees uh, suffer through some bad times. And even when we weren't at the games and actively cursing the team, um, it was definitely a good emotional release to talk about it. And I imagine, you know, not just on a podcast, talking about it on Twitter, interacting with all of you, the fans, sharing our thoughts. Um, I think the community out there is just, you know, it, it makes being a fan more enjoyable during the down times and certainly more enjoyable during the up times. So hopefully more up than down in 2022. And it's at this point that it would be prudent for me to remind you and remind our listeners that uh, it's been a really long time since I've attended a Yankees loss. Uh, just just feels like we needed to throw that in. Uh, hey, I moved. I moved out of Boston just for you, just for the fans. So that's the greatest thing I could do. You can't blame the wild card game on me, but um, I I tried my best. I can blame the Yankees being in the wild card game on you. Um, fair enough. Shall we move on into awards? Yeah, let's do it. All right. So I doubt there will be much disagreement here, but Whipple, who is your 2021 New York Yankees MVP? It has to be Aaron Judge. The only other person, I guess I considered Cole, Cole I considered Giancarlo Stanton. I think Stanton had a lot of MVP-worthy moments, specifically that series in Boston at the end of the year. But from top to bottom, start to finish, game one to 162, uh, this perhaps was Aaron Judge's finest season. 2017 was a should have been MVP year, but in this year in a depressed offensive environment with a team that was struggling to provide him much support and protection and in a league that unlike 2017 knew exactly who he was and how to pitch to him and what his weaknesses were, Judge put up uh, one of his best seasons uh, offensively perhaps his best or definitely his best since 2017 I think in some ways his best ever he had his highest average ever he had his lowest strikeout rate ever um for a guy who struck out 200 over 200 times in 2017 to strike out only 158 times when he got his career high in at bats is pretty remarkable when you consider the size of him and the strike zone that he allows umpires to call and um Doing all that and providing 39 home runs, 98 RBIs, 916 OPS, all the numbers are there. Uh, the presence he has in the Yankees lineup is just, you can't say enough about it. When, as I said, every other hitter in the lineup was struggling at one point, except for Judge. And the fact that he was able to pair that with good health this year, he was an instrumental part in the Yankees' success all year. And um, this Yankees team was, as you know, you may know, they were in the wild card game. They were a game away from being out of the wild card game. So even though that they, they disappointed, they could have disappointed a lot more. And um, given that, you know, they're one game away from that outcome, I think it's pretty fair to say that without Judge, the Yankees would not have made the playoffs. And many 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 moments throughout the year he proved that he is the Yankees MVP he will be the Yankees MVP in 2022 and hopefully for a lot longer than that if Hal Steinbrenner has any sense in him 
Yeah, I mean, as I said, not going to disagree with you here. Aaron Judge, unequivocally the MVP of this team, uh, was a top five player in the American League by baseball reference war. Uh, I think pretty clear that he's just in the elite tier of baseball players. Uh, Something that I noticed as we're talking about this being Aaron Judge's finest year. Do you want to know a scary stat? I would love to. This may have been Aaron Judge's finest offensive year. However, he was below his career average in on-base percentage. He was below his career average in slugging percentage. He was, as a result, below his career average in OPS, and he was below his career average in OPS+. plus. So Aaron Judge had a potentially underwhelming season in which he hit 39 home runs, drove in 98, um, hit for almost a 290 average, was 49% better than the average uh, offensive player and finished fourth in the MVP race. Yeah, and, and let's not forget that he's a really good defender too. I He did not win a gold glove, but I think there was the Fielding Bible Award or one of the advanced statistical fielding awards that rely more on stats than player or uh, whoever votes for the gold gloves. Sorry that I don't know that off the top of my head. Uh, pegged him as one of the best fielders in baseball, I think the best defensive right fielder. And the eye test backs it up. I mean, for a big guy, he covers a lot of ground. He moves very gracefully. And there are, you know, 20 to 30 highlight plays that he makes in the field every season. So with the bat, he is an MVP. With the glove, he is an MVP. And off the field, also an MVP. I mean, if anyone's going to be the Yankees captain in the next 20 years, it's probably going to be him. So there's just not enough you can say about Aaron Judd. Yeah, he's he's phenomenal. He, uh, yeah, he just, the every anytime he can stay on the field, he's going to be, you know, a top 10 player in the league. And that's exactly what we saw this year. Uh, he was healthy for a whole season, which I know a lot of us have kind of dreamt about. And he really did deliver over that span uh it was phenomenal to have him there for the entire year and uh i look forward to what he's going to do next year uh in what should be a very potent lineup uh who's your cy young award for the new york yankees alec whipple it has to be garrett cole another slam dunk choice much like aaron judge was the slam dunk mvp there's no one on the yankees who's going to match garrett cole on the mound um even though much has been made of the post-sticky stuff Garrett Cole, much has been made of the post-hamstring injury Garrett Cole, the composite season he put together was a Cy Young runner-up season, 3.23 ERA, led the league in wins, had some of the greatest pitch games as a Yankee that I've ever seen, and uh, basically got this team through some times where the rotation was pretty thin. Um, and I think you know going into the year, not knowing if Kluber was going to be uh, hold up for a full season, not knowing what Tyon was going to give, not knowing what Montgomery was going to give. Garrett Cole was the guy you knew what he was going to give, and he had an incredible April. He had an incredible May. He bounced back from the post-sticky stuff, some starts where he was trying to adjust, had an incredible July, incredible August, and he got injured and did not have an incredible end to the year. But for the fu full comp composite season, Garrett Cole was the best pitcher in the league, and I'm sorry that Robbie Ray happened to be better in some statistics that voters consider more favorably in Cy Young voting. Garrett Cole was better in a lot of ways that um, are more sabermetrically inclined, and 
I think should have won him the Cy Young, especially given what the Yankees did to Robbie Ray in the last series of the season that they played him. Um, but Garrett Cole is, um, and, and much like much like Aaron Judge, he is uh, everything you'd want off the field as well. He's just a, a bulldog and competitor, and he I think he embodies. I mean, I don't know if Cy Young was a great person, but I'll, I'll say he was a great person. He embodies Cy Young on on off the field. Um, I think there's a and shout out shout out Cy Young. There's a pretty low chance that Cy Young was a good guy, but uh, I'll I'll give it to you. I had to make that work somehow. Um. Old Haas Radborn shout out. Uh, so this may surprise you. I'm gonna I'm gonna disagree. Um, there's a lot that is good about what Garrett Cole did. He pitched a ton of innings. He pitched to a very low ERA. He struck out a ton of guys. He won a couple of really big starts. He pitched some incredible games, like the complete game in Houston. But I think there is someone on the Yankees who was better at pitching this year than Garrett Cole and that is Jonathan Loisega he was by Fangraph's war the third best reliever in the league uh he basically didn't give up any home runs he got his walks under control he was unbelievably reliable uh he didn't strike out a ton of guys and he had come up as a high strikeout guy but he didn't really have to uh, and there were so many times this year when the only guy I wanted to see on the mound was Jonathan Loisega. Uh Baseball Reference has him as the most valuable reliever in the American League. And I just want to list you off some guys who all pitched 100 or more innings. So 30 more innings than Loisega or more than that, uh, who had fewer Baseball Reference war than Jonathan Loisega. I'll begin. Jose Barrios, Ian Anderson, Alec Manoa, Shane Bieber, Framber Valdez, Aaron Nola, Clayton Kershaw, Eduardo Rodriguez, Hyunjin Ryu, Shane McClanahan, Hugh Darvish, Blake Snell, Zach Granke, Kyle Hendricks. There are multiple Cy Young winners on that list. And a lot of those guys pitch like 120 to 150 innings. And Jonathan Loisego is better than all of them in 70 innings. That's phenomenal. Like, I, I really like Jonathan Loisega. I understand, like, that Garrett Cole almost won the actual Cy Young Award. I understand how this works. But Jonathan Loisega deserves a lot of credit for how well he pitched this year. And uh, you'll see why I picked him for this category and not a later category later on. But uh, I really think that Jonathan Loisega was able to affect a ton of games. He was astonishingly good in those games. He was maybe the greatest surprise of this Yankees team with how much he progressed. Like, let's not forget that it was in the wild card series in Cleveland just what? How long ago would that have been? 15 months ago that he came in and it was like, oh my God, it's Loisga, and he gave up a double to Jordan Luplo or whatever. Like, he went from guy with stuff who can't really be trusted to only guy you want to see late in a game. And I think that leap that he made and how many critical innings he pitched and how well he did in those innings, despite never occupying anything like that role in the past, uh, I, I really think he deserves this award. 
yeah no i i completely respect the choice i as you said i think garrett cole was more of what i would define as cy young but i also think that jonathan loisica is one of the most underrated pitchers in baseball and i think somehow despite being a yankee where most yankees have pretty good name recognition not a lot of people know they might know who he is but they don't know how good he was and yeah like you said he had never been in anything like that role and he came out, went from being the guy that was mopping up or pitching in spot starts to being basically the, the lockdown back of the bullpen, you know, best best reliever in the bullpen, um, most valuable reliever in the bullpen, and I think best reliever in baseball or one of the best relievers in baseball. Just because he didn't have saves doesn't mean that he didn't impact the game in more important ways. I, I think the fact that he didn't have saves means he was able to play more of a 96 Mariano Rivera role for the Yankees, and that's really exciting for the Loisaga's future, for the Yankees' future, and for what it means for the 2022 bullpen because – when he went down in September, uh, I think that was a huge, huge loss for the Yankees. And the fact that he came back and was able to pitch the last few weeks of the season, really, I, I'm pretty convinced that that helped him win some games and that they wouldn't have won otherwise. Um, he was just such an integral part of that bullpen. And basically every single pitcher in the Yankees bullpen had some pretty bad stretches this year. And Loisica had some blow up games for sure, but he never had a stretch where you were afraid to use him. Um, I will say that there, you know, when he came back from COVID, it was a little shaky when he came back for injury, maybe one or two games, but it was never like a Chad green giving up home runs every game or Chapman can't throw the ball over the plate week with Loisica. And that's uh that's pretty incredible for a guy who's you know 26 years old and had never done this before so definitely a a worthy choice for sure yeah with the exception of like some ground balls getting through at times uh Loisga was incredibly reliable highly effective and uh really came into his own in a super high leverage role and uh just did it really well um so with that we will be moving on with the rest of our awards right after this break and now it's time for a word from our sponsors. First, Ryan Garcia, at Ryan Garcia ESM on Twitter. If you need to know who Steamer says is going to have a good year, just follow Ryan Garcia. Second, Ray Perez. He'll talk to you about the Yankees at work, but he'll insist on calling you Matt. And third, the Dad Taker Bad Take segment, invented by us, for us, enjoyed also by us. And with that, back to the show. And we are back. Thank you to all of our very generous sponsors, none of whom I should disclose have ever given us a dollar. Uh, we left off on Cy Young Award winner. Um, Whipple, we have a few more awards to get to, but let's continue with the individual ones with our reliever of the year a related pitching award yeah so i'll make this easy just because you already had uh, a great segment about him my reliever of the year was loisica and for a lot of the reasons that we've both just talked about um there's not much more that needs to be said except this was one of if not the most valuable reliever in the american league this last year coming from a role in which he basically had never done before at the age of 26 basically going to be the next Mariano Rivera. Um, I'm pretty confident saying this is our reliever of the year. I do want to point out that Aroldis Chapman first half was probably the runaway for this award, but um, had a pretty dismal June through August. So 
I, I just remember the excellent series of articles he penned about the, how great a role this Chapman was and then subsequently how bad he was. So as John Sterling says, that is baseball season. Yeah, Aroldis Chapman, as I uh, recounted, was supposed to be, or was on pace to be, basically the greatest reliever in a single season of all time uh, at one point last year. He was going to set the strikeouts per nine record. He uh, had a negative FIP and a zero ERA for a very long time. Uh, He really came kind of crashing back to earth. He had some fingernail stuff if i remember correctly and he obviously uh had a tough time adjusting to the sticky stuff ban um and just got hit around a little bit um but yeah was was on pace to have an incredible year and uh jonathan lewisga certainly was the reliever of the year but i chose him as my cy young so that i could highlight clay holmes uh for this one clay holmes was really kind of a you know not very renowned, relatively inexpensive trade piece that the Yankees got uh, the week of the deadline, but a few days early, uh, and they traded Diego Castillo, not that Diego Castillo, and Hoy Park to get him from Pittsburgh, uh, where this season he had basically been worth zero war. Um, And he, you know, he could throw pretty hard. He had a reasonably good sinker, um, but in 42 innings with the Pirates, he had pitched to a 4.07 FIP, an ERA of almost five. Um, He was walking guys a ton. Uh, The strikeouts were there, the velocity was there, and the sinker was there. And when he came to the Yankees in 28 innings, he pitched to a 1.61 ERA, a 2.1 FIP. That's a 270 ERA plus, which is phenomenal. Uh, And all the 1.3 baseball reference war that he was worth this year came with the Yankees. Uh, The bullpen, as we've detailed in these last couple of awards, really kind of needed help, Um, whether it was the injury to Zach Britton or the really kind of poor performance of a guy like Justin Wilson, the injury to Darren O'Day, um, the occasional unreliable unreliability of Chad Green, the amount that the Yankees had to rely on Loisaga, on Green, and on Chapman. Uh, it was so incredibly valuable to get a guy who was as effective as Holmes, who could produce the way Holmes did in really high leverage situations, and uh, just who could... Uh, come in and get the outs that the Yankees needed him to get. And uh, much like I said about Loisaga, there were times this year when I really felt like uh, there was no one else they could bring in. There was nobody else that I trusted to see uh, come into a game. And he did it throughout his time uh, on the Yankees this year, up through his two scoreless innings in the uh, wildcard game. So I just feel like Clay Holmes deserved to be commended in our year-end retrospective. And uh, even though reliever of the year is certainly an award that belongs to Jonathan Lewisaga, I was able to do a little manipulation here and give Clay Holmes this shout out that I really do believe he deserves. And I'm excited to see him on the Yankees uh, for a little while now. Yeah, we know the Yankees love their ground ballers. I mean, Britton, Lewisaga, and now Clay Holmes, who went from being the target of Twitter ire 
because people were upset that they traded Hoy Park for him to, as you said, being the first one out of the pen and keeping the wildcard game in a winnable spot for the Yankees. And I think this year was definitely an interesting one for the bullpen. I think there was a lot of high-profile blow-ups, but overall, I mean, I think the Yankees assembled a really talented group of relievers who are a lot different than the ones going in. Um, the three that come to mind are Holmes, as you said, Luke, Lucas Lickie, who hadn't pitched in the big leagues in six years and then posted a 2.74 ERA and was one of the more reliable arms. I mean, he wasn't one of the back-end arms, but you need the arms in the middle innings that are going to get you through a season. And Lickie definitely did that for them when some of the other players faltered. And then Wandy Peralta, who, similar to Holmes, people were upset that uh, Mike Talkman was traded for. And Peralta definitely started off a bit shaky, but after he came back from COVID, he became a really trusted part of the back end of the bullpen. Um, he was relieving in important spots. Uh, game 162 comes to mind in that, that scoreless battle. And he was just a dependable arm that the Yankees got for you know a fourth outfielder, basically. Um, so I think it's cool. And let's not forget when he change-upped Freddie Freeman to death en route to uh, one of those wins on the long winning streak Yeah, it's kind of scary how many of these games where a role this champion wasn't doing well and another reliever came in to bail him out. But, you know, that's neither here nor there. But um, I also did want to shout out Chad Green just because of the heavy overuse of him and the fact that he finished the season intact. Uh, he was 10-7 and seven this year. I mean, that's like a starter's record. 83 innings. And we talked a lot about his overuse. He definitely fell off a bit, Was had his homer problems. But let's not forget, midseason, him and Loisaga were basically neck and neck for reliever of the year award, or at least the ones that we awarded at midseason. So a lot of a lot of heroes in the Yankees' bullpen this year to pick up some for some uh, poor performances and injuries. Oh, absolutely. Chad Green's a phenomenal reliever. He's really one of the best relievers in baseball. Um, I was defending him throughout the season. We really both were. And, uh, you know, he deserves all the credit in the world for his performance over the last five or so years. Uh, and just following up on one of the points you made, the Yankees, per Fangraph's war, had the third most productive bullpen in the league. Um, the Rays are first. They had 100 more bullpen innings than the Yankees. Presumably, their number is skewed by the use of the opener. Uh, and the White Sox are second in almost an identical sample size, and uh, they have 0.3 more fan graphs or So the Yankees really did have a phenomenally productive bullpen this year. Uh, a, a really integral part of the team and something that kept them in contention for a long time uh, through the kind of trials and tribulations of the starting rotation. So Whipple, at early in the season... There were very few of these to choose from, um, but I think it could be a little bit of a more interesting conversation now. Who's your rookie of the year? Yeah, as you alluded to, rookies were not an integral part of the Yankees this year. There were some who did make somewhat of an impact, um, including my player, who had six starts. Um, a few definitely were pretty important starts, and he, he came up with a bang and um, excited Yankees fans with his first three outings in August. I'm talking about Luis Heal, who had a 3.07 ERA in six starts for the Yankees this year, um, and that was a 0.0 ERA after his first three starts, which came at a pretty crucial time. Um, if you remember, that was during a part of the year where a lot of players were down with COVID, uh, including Garrett Cole. So the rotation was definitely a bit shorthanded. 
And Luis Hill came up to take his start against Baltimore August 3rd, pitched six scoreless innings, then followed that up with five scoreless against Seattle in a loss. But then I think the one that I remember was the game against Boston, which he went four and two thirds scoreless innings. Wasn't great. The command's always an issue with him. But to put three scoreless outings on the board in your first three starts, when he hadn't done incredibly in the minors, he's a young kid. He definitely has things to work on. And uh, he filled in at a time when pitching was a bit light for the Yankees. And when they were really making a push, uh, if you also remember that Red Sox, that was the back half of the doubleheader when they ultimately passed the Red Sox in the wild card standings. And given the final standings, every game against Boston was very important. Uh, in September, his results weren't as good, although I will note that his game against Minnesota, even though he got hit around a bit, get a bit at the beginning, he kept the Yankees in the game, pitched six innings, and ultimately that uh, helped them to come back and beat Minnesota in one of the better games of the year, one we might be mentioning later on um, in the best games roundup. So he contributed, but, you know, he's flawed. He, as we said, there weren't any standout, you know, MVP level Aaron Judge 2017 rookie performances from the Yankees this year. But I think Heel did a nice job showing some promise, um, helping the Yankees win a few games and putting his name in the conversation for potentially a future rotation spot or a bullpen spot. Um, one thing's for sure, he's definitely going to be in the 2022 Yankees pitching plans and his debut this year was a big reason why. Yeah, Luis Hill was phenomenal this year. Uh, I'll be talking about him a little bit more later. I, I think... You know, he's a guy who I'm excited to see in spring training 2022, whenever that happens, you know, see how his command has improved over the offseason, see what kind of changes he's made. Um, and I'd be really excited to see him in the rotation. You know, it's possible that early in the year they're going to need some guys to fill in, um, you know, with Tyone recovering from injury and whatever else, you know, may happen. Uh, Luis Hill is a guy who I'd be, you know, perfectly happy to see starting a game in the first week of the season and, uh, you know, really at any point with the ability that he showed uh, and the talent that he showed uh, in his first few starts uh, in the big leagues this year. Because I knew I wanted to talk about Luis Hill later, uh, I had to shout out my guy Estevan Florial for Rookie of the Year. Um, Flo hit 300 with a 171 OPS plus. Uh, for a guy with plate discipline problems, he walked in 20% of his plate appearances, uh, and he hit his first career homer. Um, you know, Estevan Florial, I believe the word that people are always throwing around for him is toolsy, and you can tell that he is. He can run, he can play defense, he can hit for power, he even hit for a little average this year, uh, he showed some plate discipline. It's very easy to see why people have been excited about him as a prospect for so long. It's very easy to see that that talent is there. Um, and, you know, I'm sure we'll get into 2022 later in this podcast and later uh, in the winter. But Estevan Florial is a guy who I'd be fine seeing in starting lineups next year. Um, you know, he can run, he can hit, he can throw, he's... He's a very complete player. I understand that, you know, major league breaking balls are going to be tough for him. But uh, this is a guy who I would invest in, a guy who I would give at bats and a guy who I really think could contribute at the major league level. And I know the sample size isn't very big at all, um, but I was very pleased with what I saw when he got to play this year. And I'd be um, I just felt like he deserved some recognition for that. And I'm also manipulating almost all of my awards. <laughs> Yeah, I, we talked about Florial as potentially a fourth outfielder next year um, if Brett Gardner doesn't come back, which 
is, you know, something I wouldn't bet on. But I think Florial definitely has a future somewhere, uh, whether it's at the Yankees or another team. When he came up this year, he impressed. And I, I think he's got some things to work on, but he's a toolsy player, as you said, and he started to put it together this year. And if we've known one thing about the Yankees is that they need their backups. They need their their depth these these players are not they're not not injury prone <laughs> there's a lot of guys who will probably make trips to the the disabled list at a few points so i, I think we're going to see florial a decent amount in 2022 and i think the the fact that he was one of the main um supports in the stretch where a lot of players went down with covid shows that the yankees like him they like what he can bring and um i think we'll see that in 2022 and hopefully beyond bite your tongue with the use of disabled list there my god uh, what year is list. this apologies uh so speaking of guys who have injuries but blessedly return from them who's your comeback player of the year this is one that i suspect we might agree on as well yeah so i i was between a few guys um I ultimately picked Jamison Tyon, although I do want to shout out Jordan Montgomery because I don't know if he necessarily fits comeback player of the year. He did pitch all of last year in the shortened season, but he kind of achieved his 2018 performance and 2017 performance for the first time um, in a few years. But Tyon definitely is fits the profile of the comeback player of the year. He did not pitch all of last year. He did not pitch past the first seven, his first seven starts of 2019. He has been injured working back from injury since then and so the last time he pitched a full season uh, as many innings as he did this year was in 2018 he pitched 191 innings this year he pitched 144 and that was definitely because the Yankees were restraining his innings in some situations uh, specifically early in the year um, Tyon was not doing well he did not pitch deep into games and I think the turning point for him was that start against Philly where he did not make it out of the first inning. He gave up four runs. And so on June 12th, his ERA sat at 5.74. Uh, but since then, between, or should I say, between then and about mid-August, he was lights out. Um, in those starts, he had a lot of standout games, a few against the Red Sox, one against the Astros. His ERA was 2.11. He won Pitcher of the Month in July, which for a guy who had a 5.74 ERA midway through the previous month is pretty incredible. Um, and then at the end of the year, he dealt with some injury issues. Uh, after the game against Toronto on September 6th, he was out for um, a lot of September. But then he came back with some short but pretty gamey outings. Um, again, that last game, game 162, he provided three and a third innings of scoreless ball. And the Yankees needed every single out in that game. Um, considering it was a one nothing win, if Tyon had given up even one run and one of the most important starts in his career, that could have hurt their chances of making the playoffs. So uh, although he definitely had some more impressive starts, um, that was the one that opened my eyes and really made me appreciate the job he had done this entire year. And I'm excited to have him around as well. Uh, I think him and Montgomery are really important parts of the middle of this rotation. And Tyone, definitely, he, he's had ace-level stuff before. He flashed it again this year. And having gotten through a full season and being able to go into 2022 with ostensibly a normal offseason and just preparing as um, – <laughs> I should say that he did have surgery, as I just remembered. Um, so he, <laughs> this is this is me. So not a normal offseason at all. Me adjusting on the fly, and I'm sorry I did not remember that. But um, 
he so yeah he will be back uh probably a little bit delayed in the start of the 2022 season but not a normal off season but potentially could help him preserve innings for later in the season um but he will be going into the season having pitched a pretty normal season the year before so the rehab isn't long-term rehab it's just coming off of a, a regular injury rehab and um i think he's going to be a really important part of the team um no matter where he pitches in the rotation the yankees definitely uh came out ahead in that trade i know you know we all like to prospect hug but that they needed their starting pitching last year and for a good chunk of the season tyon was their best starting pitcher i gotta admit i don't know if i even remember who they traded there was a young pitcher who people liked yeah Ro- rowan c contreras rowan z contreras yeah no, I have no regrets about that. Tyone was huge for this team this year. I think his numbers don't even really do him justice. Uh, as you mentioned, they're kind of skewed by the innings limitations that the Yankees were putting on him early in the year and the fact that that coupled with some struggles and obviously the blow up in Philadelphia. Uh, Tyone and Montgomery were both huge for this team this year. Um, Montgomery had like a sneaky, phenomenal season. Um, I don't know if 3.4 war really even explains all of it uh he was really good and he did look you know from a numbers perspective and from just a a qualitative perspective uh very similar to the guy we saw in 2017 and 2018 but what was cool is he was walking fewer guys than those years and striking more guys out uh so he was, you know, effective in an even more sustainable way. And I really liked that out of Jordan Montgomery. Um, as you mentioned, Tyone did have surgery, and we hope that he can come back as healthy as possible. Obviously, lockout time, not exactly the best time to have surgery because you can't rehab with team personnel and things like that. But, um, you know, the guys come back from much more serious things than just some surgery. So, uh, we have every reason to believe that JMO is going to be back and better than ever, uh, at least probably by May or June. My comeback player of the year is a guy who we saw a lot less of than we did of Jameson Tyone, but just a guy who I was so excited to see back. Uh, I remember when I heard that he got either pulled, scratched from a spring training start, or shut down, I was in the uh, parking lot of the Martin's grocery store in South Bend, Indiana. And I got an alert on my phone that told me the bad news. And from that point in the beginning of 2019, I basically hardly saw Luis Severino until he came back this year. And look, he only came back in a relief role probably because it was a little bit rushed. Um, He pitched six innings uh, because he was only pitching, you know, a couple at a time. Um, He only appeared in four games and then the wild card game. But Luis Severino looked awesome. Uh, He was striking out 12 per nine. He wasn't really walking guys. Uh, He didn't allow an earned run. His velocity wasn't quite totally back, but it was almost there, and we saw some flashes of it. Like, Luis Severino looked like a guy who 
had been away for a long time. You know, he pitched 191 innings in 2018, which is, I believe, exactly what Jamison Tyone did. That's kind of weird. Um, but then pitched 12 innings in 2019 and didn't pitch in 2020. So we really had no idea what we were going to get from Luis Severino. And the fact that he was able to come back, look good, stay healthy. I know it was only a few games. Those were all really good signs. And I am interested to see how aggressive the Yankees are. And this is another issue with this lockout offseason is they can't monitor him as closely as they might want to. But I'm very interested to see what the Yankees do with Luis Severino going into uh going into next year do they start him off in a relief role and try to get him stretched out do they innings limit him and kind of do something similar to Tyone is he you know with all the time he spent recovering last year plus the offseason fully healthy and a full member of the rotation immediately uh you know I'm very excited to see how those questions get answered but I feel like they're the right questions to ask and now that I know that he came back and has all the talent and all the stuff that we remember ace two-time all-star two-time top 10 Cy Young vote getter Luis Severino as having and it's just so exciting you know this guy is a top flight number one starter when healthy I don't think there's any question about that uh we saw it in 2017 and 2018 um and pairing Severino pitching his best you know he's only going to be 28 next year uh with Garrett Cole uh at the top of his game and supporting those guys with Montgomery and with Tyone and maybe with one of the young guys like Clark Schmidt who Lindsay Adler had a great article on today or with Luis Heal or with Davey Garcia who I still believe in or with Luis Medina or with someone that they go out and get like this pitching staff was phenomenal last year and the path feels very clear to it continuing to be great uh, as we move forward in 2022 and even beyond. And a lot of my confidence is coming from the six innings that I saw from Luis Severino this past year. And I had to give him this award because I could talk about Luis Severino forever. No, I, it's a great pick. And I, I think we have, we probably both of us, I mean, I won't speak for you, but I definitely have a special relationship with Luis Severino as a fan, just because I think in my time watching the Yankees, he was probably the first really good prospect who came up and panned out. Um, and I remember I saw him in single A Charleston, um, him and Greg Bird actually in 2013. And I was so excited just because, uh, you know, this was a top pitching prospect and he didn't know if he was going to be good, but he was getting so much acclaim at that point. And then he came up in 2015 and super excited to see the guy watching the minors. But as you said, he became something better than I think most people expected in 2017, 2018. And the last three years have just been really tough. I think Yankees fans, probably the thing that has caused us the most emotional anguish is just seeing all the setbacks he's had, um, which has led to led to that great game against the Rangers when he came back. And throughout all the innings, all the baseball we watched this year, I'm pretty confident saying the most emotional I got watching baseball this year was watching Luis Severino come back for a mop-up inning. And I say that pretty definitively because... It was so awesome to see him come back. You could tell he was emotional. The players were excited. The fans were loving it. And, I mean, I just agree with everything you said. Like, the Cole-Severino combo is a game changer. I mean, that's legitimately one of the best one-two combos in the big leagues. And it's kind of crazy to think about Severino being a veteran at this point. But 
I'm pretty sure he's the longest tenured guy who's currently on the team. So he has a really important role to play as a top flight contributor and also one of the veteran leaders of the team. And I just really want him to stay healthy. I mean, this goes beyond any statistical analysis. Like, if I could ask for one player to stay healthy this year, it is Luis Severino because nobody deserves it more than him. And his comeback was just one of the best parts of the year, bar none. Yeah, I I totally agree. Um, I think we're about to get to the inning that I was most emotional watching, but... um, Luis Severino is awesome. We both love him. He's been pitching for this team since he was 21. Um, I did not see him in the minors, although that would have been really cool. But, uh, yeah, you know, he's going to be 28. He's got 2022 and then a team option in 2023. Uh, If he can stay healthy, I'd love for the Yankees to, um, you know, lock him up again. I know they feel like they probably got burned by the first extension, but... Uh, look, I love Luis Severino, and look, it might not be Scherzer DeGrom, but there aren't many one-two punches at the tops of rotations out there in baseball that compare to Cole Severino, and I would love to see those guys run out there every fifth day, and I would love to see the Yankees benefit from that. Uh, so speaking of things that were exciting or emotional or that we really enjoyed watching... Um, I may have kind of played my hand or shown my hand a little bit um, with the way that I previewed this, but what is your best game of the year? So there's definitely a few contenders for this, um, and I'm sure we'll talk about the games that, you know, didn't make our best game exactly. Um, And for me this year, and I don't know if yours is the same, I figure it might be because this was just an incredible game. And somehow, I I will say that, even though the first Yankees no-hitter in uh, 22 years was thrown, I did not pick it. So if you picked that, Neither okay. did I. I picked a game thrown in the same state by Garrett Cole against the Astros. The Yankees-Astros one nothing win in July. Um, it, this was just one... I mean, I'm not going to say one of... This was the best pitch game I have ever watched a Yankees pitcher throw. Garrett Cole coming off of a pretty nasty illness. I think he was on IV fluids. Um, He was not doing well when they were in Seattle. Demanded the ball against the Astros because the Yankees-Astros games took on such importance this year based on everything that's happened. And the Yankees supported him with one run. It was an Aaron Judge home run in the third inning. And that was it. And Garrett Cole made that stand up. And not only did he make that stand up, he made it stand up in a three-hit, 12-strikeout shutout throwing 129 pitches, including a in the ninth inning when in 2021 baseball, most pitchers would be taken out of the game, uh, a stressful, high-intensity inning, well past 110 pitches, which I think is beyond the cutoff point. If 100 pitches is the cutoff, 110 is the upper limit. Garrett Cole was throwing absolute gas past 120 pitches, striking out Jordan Alvarez for his final pitch of the night, and just erupting with raw emotion, telling Aaron Boone to get off the mound, let him keep pitching. It was everything you'd want out of your ace against the Yankees. Uh, I mean, I'm pretty sure that, you know, the Astros were, are, are the Yankees' probably biggest rivals, or at least in the Yankees' heads at this point, um, against an extremely talented lineup um, in a game where, again, the Yankees made the playoffs by one game this year. So any one of these games that were close, um, no matter who was against, were super important. But Garrett Cole put his flourish on it and just delivered a an old school 
pitching performance for the ages. It was just really, really incredible to watch. And you know it's great when the neutral Fox announcers get excited for a Yankees game, and they were pumped up after this one, and I was as well. Yeah, I mean, that was just an unbelievable game. It's, if not just the best game pitched by a Yankee this year, maybe the best game I've ever seen a Yankee pitch. Um, I mean, against that potent of a lineup on the road, the team he used to be on, the Yankees' biggest rival, the fact that the difference of the game was an Aaron Judge home run, the fact that he was striking guys out, throwing 100 miles an hour in the ninth inning on his like 125th pitch, just doesn't make any sense. And that is, um, you know, that game perfectly encapsulates what the Yankees have in Garrett Cole. Um, there are not many guys in Major League Baseball who can provide that performance. Um, and there are even fewer who can provide that performance without it surprising you. Uh, the Yankees had that guy for a little while when they had kind of ace-level CC, but they have that guy today in Garrett Cole, and I just think that's so cool, and that was such a phenomenal game, and I was losing my mind in the ninth inning, and, uh, you know, Garrett Cole, I have a feeling, is going to provide a lot more moments like that uh, potentially in even bigger spots uh, throughout the rest of his career as a Yankee. Um, like I've done with the previous awards, I've just kind of gone with my guy on this award. Um, and as a result, my game of the year is the Yankees-Rays game from June 1st. Uh, that went into 11 innings and was capped off by a walk-off home run by none other than Red Thunder, Clint Frazier. So the Yankees uh, went down early in this game. Uh, Herman gave up a home run to Austin Meadows. They were facing glass now. They got a walk uh, that scored a run, a wild pitch that scored a run. Miguel Duhar put them up with a homer to right. That was cool. I love Miguel Duhar. So glad that he factored prominently into this game. Herman then... Uh, coughed up the lead with a home run to Kevin Kiermeyer, whom I absolutely hate. Kevin Kiermeyer, if you're listening to this podcast, I hate you. Um, and then that was in the top of the fifth inning. No runs were scored for the rest of the game until the bottom of the 11th. Uh, the Yankees had two runners on in the bottom of the ninth, didn't score. The Yankees had the bases loaded in the 10th and didn't score. And then with Gary Sanchez on base and two outs in the bottom of the 11th, with the bullpen basically emptied, Luis Sessa got the win in this game. Uh, Clint came up, homered to left center, uh, sent everybody home. And it was just like, you look, there's no secret that I love Clint Frazier. He obviously struggled a lot this year. Um, congratulations to him to signing with the Cubs. Uh, he also had a great interview recently on The Short Porch uh, where he went into some depth about the kind of stuff he was going through, what the Yankees knew, what they didn't know. Uh, but Clint really struggled this year. And he clearly had a lot of stuff going on that made it very difficult for him to play baseball. Basically from the end of 2020, all the way through this season. Uh, and it was a rocky relationship with the Yankees, but uh, at a time when the Yankees were, I think, 3-7 and seven against the Rays on the year uh, and really needed the tide to turn, Clint came in and delivered this uh, 
this walk-off homer off Andrew Kittredge, like, late at night at Yankee Stadium, it was just, like, the Yankees didn't have a ton of, like, cool walk-off moments this year in the way that they did in this one. Uh, And I just love Clint Frazier, and picking his walk-off in his last season as a Yankee just felt appropriate. Yeah, and... Especially considering, I mean, I think that's a great pick, especially considering how thoroughly the Rays embarrassed the Yankees in that first home series of the year. And then I believe it was the Memorial Day game that preceded it, another embarrassment. So you had four pretty embarrassing games. And I just remember the feeling of desperation that game. Like the Yankees absolutely had to win that game. And it was, there were so many games that felt like that this year, but this one in particular, just given it was against the Rays and given that the season was trending in a bad direction. And it just seemed like it was going to go to the 12th and the extra inning rules this year have just made things, made things so terrible in extra innings with the runner on second base. Uh, When Clint came up and hit that home run, I, I definitely was probably one of the most excited moments that I had had all year. I, vividly remember (laughs) running around my house playing New York, New York. I definitely woke some people up. So I apologize to those people if they're listening, which they're probably not because if they were listening, then they probably would have been watching with me. But it's a great point. Anyway. um, Yeah. We love Clint Frazier. Great game. And um, one of the early season highlights for sure. Um, I just want to shout out quickly some other games and then you can touch on any games that I missed here. Um, The Cole versus Astros game, obviously. The Corey Kluber no-hitter, first Yankees no-hitter in 22 years, and that was just an excellently pitched game and probably uh, one of the cooler, you know, experiences, just general baseball experiences, having never watched the Yankees throw a no-hitter. It's awesome to see that get done. Um, Cole versus the Rays in May, which was basically... Oh, yeah. Yeah, basically it was the game that uh, we thought was going to be like the game of the year for Garrett Cole until the Astros won for any other pitcher that would have been the game of the year where he threw eight shutout innings against the Rays. Um, the Red Sox series in August and September, uh, specifically the Stanton Grand Slam and yep. the Sunday Night Baseball game, and then the doubleheader sweep. Um, I also think that end, ending road trip, that game against the Blue Jays, the comeback against Robbie Ray was really exciting mm-hmm. to watch. Um, and then there's definitely some some wonkier walk-offs, um, one against the Royals and then the road game against the Royals that just went back and forth. And then finally, the um, the last game of the year, which was probably the most heart-pounding game of the year and just a game that never seemed uh, safe until Tyler Wade crossed the plate on Judge's walk-off single. And, um, you know, although the year didn't end out the way we wanted it to, uh, that moment clinching a playoff spot with everything that had happened this year was pretty cool to watch. Any that I missed? Yeah. So, I mean, there was the game ending triple play, of course. Ah, of course. Um, there was the. Uh, what was it? The uh, Gary Sanchez pinch hit home run against the Blue Jays. That may have been off of Robbie Ray. In Buffalo, um, there was another really good game against the A's. Was it the Geo? The Geo, yes, double? yes. That was a great. I think that was the game before the triple. Yeah, play game. that was a great game. Chapman was phenomenal in that game. Um, Chapman v. Chapman. Oh yeah, it was Chapman v. Chapman, wasn't it? Um, there was a great. Uh, so the. Field of Dreams game series started off really poorly, but the next two games 
Uh, the first, the Yankees won in extra innings. And the second, the Yankees won in a fashion that I remember as being dramatic, but don't perfectly recall the specifics of. Um, but they played some good games against the White Sox this year, including the Aaron Judge walk-off walk, his first walk-off. Um, yeah, there were, you know, this this team was not exactly allergic to playing in really close games. Um, so they gave us a whole host to choose from uh, in this. The game you went to as well. Oh, yeah, the Joey the Gallo home Gallo run game, game. Against, uh, against the Mariners. And then, uh, who was it? Was it Kyle Seeger almost went yard uh, in the bottom of the ninth yes. as the last batter, or at the top of the ninth as the last batter? Um, yeah, there. this team played a lot of really kind of nerve-wracking games this year. So, um no shortage to choose from. Those are some more of a pleasure to remember than others. Yeah. I mean, just thinking about like, just scanning their, their schedule, I would say like one of every three games here was a nerve-wracking, exciting game. Definitely the most that I can remember. One other series I just want to shout out, that first Astros series was definitely one of the more fun series to watch, especially those first two games. Oh, absolutely. Those were awesome. And look... I maintain that bringing Chad Green into the third game was the right call. They turned it over to him with the lead. Uh, there's an argument that the Yankees shouldn't have lost any games to the Astros or White Sox this year, uh, and they played a lot of good games against both of those teams. So um, you want to move on to best offensive performance? We have gone surprisingly long. Yeah, I think we can kind of go quicker through these because we touched on them, um, or at least I touched on mine in one of the uh, the best games but for me it was Stanton at Fenway in September um, he had three home runs 10 RBIs was crushing the ball at every single at bat the eighth inning grand slam in game two was one of the best moments of the season and the home run off out of Vino in game three uh, a game which my brother was at to prove that it wasn't a Whipple curse it was just an Alec Whipple curse um, was a capper on a an exhilarating weekend of baseball. We all know Stanton's good, but that weekend he proved just how good he can be against um, the Red Sox in a crucial moment. Um, so don't don't disparage Giancarlo Stanton. I think that's the lesson we all learned in 2021. Yeah, let's not forget if you add the first game of the Toronto series that came next. Uh, Stanton posted a line in those four games of 529, 556, 1353 for a 1.908 OPS with, uh, so that's nine for 17 with four homers, two doubles and 13 runs batted in, uh, pretty great out of Stanton. I'll start us off on best pitching performance because, uh, you did already touch on this. Uh, Luis Hill began his career with three consecutive scoreless starts in 15 and two-thirds innings and tacked on three and a third more scoreless innings, uh, totaling 19 scoreless before he ever gave up a run. Uh, Luis Hill was phenomenal. Uh, in one of those games, in his debut, the two guys who pitched after him were also both making their debut, Stephen Ridings and Brody Kerner, and they were, I believe, the first group of guys ever to all make their major league debut on the same day and combine for a shutout so that was pretty cool yeah that was that was really cool to see uh, in a year where rookies didn't really do much as we said I think that game was um, really fun to watch some guys come up and make their major league debuts and just crush it um my pitching performance is the Kluber no-hitter I think that you know I touched on it before 
It was first Yankees no-hitter in 22 years. And it was just, you know, we'd all been watching games for years, and Yankees had gotten to the seventh, to the eighth, to the ninth, to one out away, as Mike Messina did at Fenway. But we had never seen a Yankee um, clinch a no-hitter, unless you remember watching David Cohn when you were three or four years old, which personally I don't. Um, but I don't either. Kluber got it done. He was just absolutely dominant, and there wasn't really a moment when it looked like that, that he was going to falter. He just had that game in you know, he was in cruise control the whole way. It was part of his astonishingly good May. Um, in that in the first four starts of that month, he had a 1.88 ERA, 28.2 innings, um, only gave up six runs and won four games. And unfortunately, right after that, that was kind of the breaking point for him. So he wasn't as good the rest of the way. He was injured, but. Um, even if that's his one lasting Yankees memory, I think, you know, he'll get the invite for old timers day as long as he wants. Cause that was just an incredibly fun game to watch. Oh yeah. That was phenomenal. And it cemented him in Yankees lore forever. Uh, our last category is best fielding play. Um, I'm sure we both have Gio Urshela flying into the Rays dugout. Uh, I don't think that requires a ton of discussion. It is basically the most recent play we have discussed and was just incredible. And the fact that he stayed in the game was just so cool. Uh, I love Gio Urshela. I know Ryan Garcia is concerned about his steamer projections only being for like a 98 OPS plus, but uh, Gio Urshela can start games at third base anytime he wants for me. Uh, a couple of honorable mentions. Clint Frazier made a bunch of diving catches this year. I love that. He made a game-saving diving catch uh, in that Rays game that we were just discussing. He had a diving catch against Josh Harrison, I believe. Um, he made an incredible one uh, out in Cleveland. Um, Clint Frazier really, you know, for... There's a lot of discussion about how difficult those balls actually were to catch, but Clint made the plays he needed to make this year, sometimes in very dramatic fashion, and I loved it. Shout out to you, Clint Frazier, but mostly shout out to defensive wizard Giovanni Urshela yeah I think Urshela is the pick um I just want to shout out all the triple plays because those were wild especially the one in Buffalo again uh, behind Michael King which was the first one three six two five six triple play in major league history and somehow I remember one episode we were doing our triple play power rankings and that was the consensus worst triple play because the Yankees had the game ending triple play against the A's which was legitimately insane considering they had turned two triple plays in the span of three weeks before that and then the first triple play against the White Sox um, in the ninth inning behind Chapman as well which led to the Glaber walk-off single on the bottom of the inning on um, weekend Labor Day weekend it was the year of the triple play it was honestly the month of the triple play I can't remember seeing a, a wackier stretch of baseball than on um, that week where multiple triple plays will were turned that really was like a fever dream because wasn't it two triple plays in a week and then a no hitter the next week? Yeah, I think it, it was either a no hitter the week before or the week after. Yeah, it that was, was wild. That, that was like A's a triple play, like capped off the weekend series win. And I, I really, like you said, it felt like a dream. I'm like, what just happened? Yeah, that was that was a complete like fever dream of baseball. It made absolutely no sense, but uh. 
look, we loved it. So, Whipple, we've gone pretty long. Uh, my mom's texting me that it's time for us to go to dinner. Um, so we're going to have to cut it off here. But look, you know this. I know this. We end every podcast with our level of confidence in the New York Yankees. Uh, given that baseball is locked out, let's give our level of confidence that uh, the players and owners reach a deal by February 10th. Yeah, I'm... I don't know. I, I vacillate on this so much because, uh, you know, on one hand, somebody's saying, you know, it's going to get resolved. On one hand, it's like they're never going to talk again. I'm still pretty confident. Uh, I think the season might get delayed slightly or maybe spring training will be shortened. But I'm going to say eight and a half. And I would probably be at like a three or four. But I do think that the fact that the so much season was lost last year and so much, um, you know, so much was up and down this year, I think the – a year without baseball or a year with less baseball, a year definitely without revenues is not just something that can be imagined. It's something that actually happened. And I think that is so heavily in the owners and players' minds um, that's weighing on both sides that I think they're going to get something done um, in somewhat of a timely manner. I can't say it will be particularly friendly, but I have confidence that both sides will come to their senses. I also do say that somebody really wants that to happen. So maybe I'm just projecting, but um, I do think 2020 and whatever happened last year is um, definitely kind of a warning and something that, you know, they all experienced it. So everyone knows what the stakes are and they just need to get it done. Well, hey, from your lips to Rob Manfred and Tony Clark's ears, uh, I set the date at February 10th because I have almost no confidence. I'm probably at a two or a three that they'll resolve it by then. February 20th, 25th, maybe I'm more confident, but um, I'd be surprised if we have guys reporting much before March 1st, so I may be projecting a little bit of a delay to the start of the season, or at least certainly a shortened spring training, but I'm confident we're going to get 162 games. Uh, I hope I don't have to eat those words, but look, as we've said time and time again, we're going to be back here throughout the lockout, throughout the offseason. We have a 2012 retrospective to do. We have plenty of looking into the future to do. Hopefully soon enough, we'll have some transactions to cover. And uh, look, if you couldn't tell from this podcast, we are so, so excited about the future of this team and everything we expect them to accomplish moving forward. Uh, that's my parting shot. Anything from you, Whipple? Yeah, I just want to thank everyone again for sticking with us. And it's you know super fun to remember all these moments, but it wouldn't be half as fun if we didn't have people to share them with. So thank you all again. We're looking forward to continuing to make content for you and talk with you all and hopefully see some games with you all in 2022. And um, you know, to spend the rest of the weekend, I'm going to go read my uh, new book, Cheated by Andy Martino, and get angry about 2017 and 2019 all over again. So maybe I'm not starting the new year in the most productive way, but uh, some things just never change and old habits die hard. And hopefully we can get the 2022 World Series book and I'll be reading that this time next year. I said it on Twitter the other day. I don't know when the 20, when the next World Series is going to happen, but I know the champions is going to be the New York Yankees. Well, Whipple, with that, I think it's time for us to sign off on our first year of Yankees Files. Here's to many more. Uh, Happy New Year, and let's go Yankees.